text. Okay, John 18. We are in the midst of, of the trial of Jesus. And, and Jesus has gone through the, this kangaroo court, if you will, in the middle of the night, and he's gone to the high priest, and he's, he's gone to, to stand before Annas and, and to stand before Caiaphas, and, and they've, they've questioned him, and we've seen the, the betrayal as a part of that, and his disciples are trying to figure out what to do, and, and they're threatening Jesus. But, but ultimately, ultimately, the Jews don't have any power. Like they can threaten, they can get real uh, upset, that they they can say ugly things about you, but they don't really have any power because they're an occupied people, right? And so when if, if things start to get too out of control, if you get these riots in these cities, uh, what what Rome will do is they'll just come in and they'll just shut everything down. Um, you see this all throughout the book of Acts. Ultimately, you're going to see this in the destruction of Jerusalem uh, uh, around AD 70, right? Because the Romans are saying, we're not, we're not putting up with your mess. If you, can't, if you can't control yourselves, then we'll come in and we'll do it for you. And you do not want me to come in here. That's kind of how Rome managed things. And they people were very well aware of that. So, so they've got to take Jesus and they've got to take him to the Romans, it's the reason that Jesus is crucified. We all know that Jesus is crucified, but he's crucified because that's, that's the Roman method of execution. That's not the Jewish me- method of execution. Jews don't crucify people. Jews stone people. So if it was really the Jews, and I know they're behind it, and they've got their blood on, on their hands, and we, we understand all of those things, but they've got to have the Romans do the dirty work. So in John chapter 18... After they've gone through this trial, they take, Jesus, they take Jesus to stand before Pilate, to stand before the Roman governor. And can I tell you that, that my intent this morning was for our lesson to be all about Jesus standing before Pilate, because there are some amazingly powerful things that are going to be said during this trial. But I kept getting distracted by one single verse. And it's that verse that I want us to talk about this morning. The text says there in John chapter 18 and verse 28, John chapter 18 and verse 28, that they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, the the governor's house. And it was early in the morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled but that they might eat the Passover. Now, maybe it, was because, uh, maybe it was because it was a Gentile house. Maybe it was because they thought that this house would have leaven within it. I mean, there are lots of people who, who talk about what it was that they were concerned about when it came to going into Pilate's home. But, but the fact is, they were not going to go into the praetorium. They were not going to go into the governor's house. Because they were concerned that if we go into the governor's house, if we go into the house of this Gentile, it would make me unclean. And if we're unclean, then we cannot partake of the Passover. And this verse just kind of pops off the page at their great concern with whether they were clean or they were unclean to the point that They sent Jesus, we'll wait outside. 
We're not going to go in there because we don't want to be made unclean. And all of this is going on as they were working to have Jesus crucified. That's what they're doing. They're in the very act of crucifying the Son of God. They're in the greatest act. They're right in the middle of creating or participating in the greatest sin, the murder of Jesus, the Son of God. And in the midst of that, what is on their mind is their cleanliness before God. Do you see the irony? Do you see the inconsistency? Do do, do you see a group of people who just didn't get it? I mean, it's obvious that we we could talk about their their failure to to understand the the, the nature of the kingdom or or their failure to understand the Messiah. But, But what I want to talk about is just the fact that their total inconsistency was completely lost on them. They didn't even see the inconsistency. Of course we're going to crucify this man. But, but, he, but as we crucify this man, our number one concern as faithful Jews is our own cleanliness. And, and it is not that they shouldn't have been concerned about their personal holiness. They should have been concerned about their personal holiness. Those are things that come from God Himself. But the truth is, it didn't do them any good to worry about what house they went into or what house they did not go into when they were crucifying the Son of God. Do we ever have those inconsistencies? Do we ever have those moments when we, when we are bound and determined that we are going to do the right thing because it is the right thing? I'm not going into the house of a Gentile because I will partake of the Passover because partaking of the Passover is so near and dear to my heart I cannot imagine not doing it. Do we ever have those moments in our lives where where, where we are convicted that that we are going to do a certain thing or be a part of a certain activity all while we are doing the exact opposite of what that of what that activity is supposed to be all about? You ever get angry? You ever get ugly with your own family? You ever, you, you, ever get, you ever get ugly with your family because you're so worked up and you're so and you're so distraught because, because you're late for church? That ever happened? At just my house? Right? By the way. I'm much better at that than I used to be. I'll apologize to my wife. There were some years that I was not so understanding. Because i got to get to church. Because we got to be there, right? We gotta, you, you, by the way, you ought to be here this morning. I, the people who aren't here, I wish they were here. They ought to be here. This is, the, the, this is the place where God's people come together. And if we don't come together, we have to question, are we really God's people? I, I understand all of those things. But, but if in the very midst of that, I actually act like an ungodly individual in order to bring those things about? Well, there's an inconsistency there that I I, I would do well to be aware of. Not to stop coming to church, but to stop letting my anger turn into sin. This is what was going on with with with, with, with these Jews who were bringing Jesus, they were bringing Jesus 
to be crucified. But they were concerned about their own personal purity. It's, 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 it's not a new thing, right? Uh, we could almost pick from any of the prophets as they talk about the subject. But, but in Isaiah chapter 1, the, the Lord says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Well, what do you mean? To what to what pur- if anybody knows what the purpose of the sacrifices are, you think it'd be God, right? Those, we, 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 those of you who were in our Leviticus class uh, l- last quarter, and we went through and we said, you know, there are these five types of, of sacrifices, and these are the purposes for them, and they had these different purposes. And the only reason that we know that is because God told us that's what they mean. God told us that that was the purpose. So now God is saying, so what's the purpose of this? I want you to think about this. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? God is telling the people, okay, you're coming together and you're making all these offerings. Why are you making these offerings? I'm really getting tired of all of these things. The sacrifices, the offerings, the blood of bulls, the blood of lambs. Whose idea was all this? This is God's idea. God's the one who came up with the whole system, right? To try to teach them about about, about what sin really is. The purpose is to honor God and to deal with the people's sins. But the the Lord is saying to the prophet, but when you do those things, when you come together and you go through the act of giving the best of your herd and shedding the blood and all, all of these trappings that were a part of the old law, when you do these things that I told you to do, let me tell you what you're really doing. You're actually trampling my courts. You're actually doing something that I don't want you to do. Bring no more futile sacrifices. If something is futile, uh, it, it is, it, you might as well not even do it. God is not trying to, to dissuade them from observing the law. But God is, going to, God is speaking to them about the way that they are observing the law. He's saying that what you're doing isn't really helping anyone. What you're doing is not really praising me. Is it possible? Is it possible for you to come into this building, to come for Bible class, to come for worship at 10 o'clock, and, and it not really benefits you at all? To actually not worship? To be futile? Of course it is. He says, your incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and, your, and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me, and I am weary of bearing them. He says, he says that what they're doing is actually an abomination to him. What are they doing? They're observing the holy days that he has, that he has told them to observe. They are an abomination. This is wearing me out. You see, we, we live in this world... We live in this world where, where we want to put a positive perspective on any religious activity, on any religious effort. We'll say, well, well, at, at, least, at least they're coming. At least they're going somewhere. 
Okay, so I understand the mentality behind all of that, right? I'm, I'm not trying to run people off. I'm not trying to dissuade people from, from thinking about God. None of that. But, but, but neither is he in, in, in the book of Isaiah. But he says, he says that, that, that these things, God, God is saying, Listen, these things are wearing me out. I am weary of bearing them. My soul hates them. They are a trouble to me. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. There, there's the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when the church comes together. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right? We, we refer to it often when we talk about the Lord's Supper. But the reason that we have a remembrance in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is because the church was coming together to commemorate the Lord's death and they were not commemorating the Lord's death. They had perverted the Lord's Supper. So he's reminding them of, of, what, of what God's intent was. But he, but he says because he says that when you come together, you come together not for the better, but for the worse. It's this concept that you're coming in here and you're saying, I'm going to be at church. But the truth is you'd be better off if you'd stay at home. That just feels weird to us, doesn't it? feels weird to me. That's what he's saying to him, And he's not saying, quit partaking of the Lord's Supper. He's not saying, quit coming together as the body. He's saying, hey, how about, if, how about if we do it right? How about if we do it from a pure and a sincere heart? I've seen so many people that come and they sit on a pew and never worship God. Is that possible? Do you ever sit on a pew for an entire worship service completely checked out? Don't be judging your neighbor on this when I'm talking about you. Right? Listen, we can have the world's greatest song leader up here. You know, Jonathan Garner can be up here just letting his heart go and, 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 and leading us in our singing and, and it be powerful and the room be, 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 be booming and, and I'm sitting there like a bump on a log and God is being praised, but not by me. Even though I'm in this place. I got to know that i got to know that. So other people aren't going to worship for me. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands, they are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. What's he saying the problem is? The problem is not that they're making sacrifices. The problem is not that, that, that they're observing these holy days. The problem is they're doing evil. They're doing evil. And this idea that we can live like the devil for six days and then come together on the first day of the week to worship God, that's a lie that the devil's telling you. That's a lie. These were people, they, they were not concerned about justice. They weren't concerned about, about things being right. They were concerned about their own justification. They were concerned about their own needs. They weren't concerned about the less fortunate. Ultimately, what, what, what the prophets are going to say over and over is, quit treating people that way. Quit taking advantage of people. Quit looking at other people like they're somehow less than you. Be concerned about widows. Be concerned about orphans. Be concerned about people who, 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 who do not have the privileges that you have. Because if you're not, then I'm not going to listen to you. You ever feel like God's not listening to your prayers? You ever have that happen to Him? And I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, 
And I, I don't know. I just feel like I, just feel like I wonder, wonder if I'm getting through to God, right? Are, are you really listening? And, and I, heard, I heard someone uh, several years ago that they were, they were talking about how that happens. And he says, here's what I always ask him. And I, this has always resonated in my mind. If you ever feel like, may, like, I just wonder if God is even listening to my prayers. He said he will always ask this question. Are you ready? How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your wife? Well, Tony, what in the world does that mean? I thought we were talking about prayers and God listening to my prayers and you, you want to get into marriage counseling over here, right? How are you treating your wife? Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, dwell with them, your wives, in an understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. He says that, that if I'm not treating my wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life, then I might as well keep my prayers to myself. He's not saying I don't want you to pray. He's saying I want you to pray and I want you to treat your wife in the right way. That's the same thing the prophets were saying in Isaiah, right? Jesus would, would deal with this in Matthew chapter 23. This is, this is in the same context, right? Matthew 23 he didn't deal with this in John, but, but th- th- this is part of the, the, the sermon, the scathing sermon that Jesus gives leading up to his crucifixion. So just a few days, just a few days before these people were, were saying, uh, yeah, we can't go in there because it might defile us, right, while they're executing Jesus. He says, he says to the scribes and to the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you've for you pay tithe of mint and, and, and anise and common and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He wasn't saying don't tithe. He wasn't saying that, 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 that you're doing something wrong. And he's saying, listen, that's not doing you a lot of good. When you neglect justice, when you're not a merciful person, when you don't walk by faith. Can that ever happen to us? Sometimes you will see people who hold very strongly to doctrinal concerns, but they are mean and they are ugly and they are unloving when it comes time to discuss those doctrinal concerns. Does that ever happen? Yeah, of course it happens. And we'll say, well, it's not that you shouldn't be concerned about those doctrinal things. It may mean that you, you may be right about those things. But those things aren't going to save you. Those things aren't going to save you if you allow anger and bitterness to rule within your heart. You can have all your doctrine right, which I hope that you do. But if the love of Christ is not in your heart, that's not going to do you any good. We can teach that worship on the first day of the week is absolutely taught in the Bible. But that's not going to do us any good if we rejoice at those who misunderstand that. If we somehow look at ourselves and we say, well, we have this figured out and, and, those, and, those, and those people, they don't even care and they're going to get what they deserve and I'm glad of it. There's a problem. Understanding the correct teaching on 
marriage and divorce and remarriage from Matthew chapter 19. You know, what does that really matter if you treat your spouse with contempt? What good is that going to do you? That's what Jesus is saying. I heard someone say years ago about, about individuals, he said that, that sometimes even if they're right, they're wrong, we can be completely right in our beliefs. We can be completely right in our doctrine. Which I believe that righteousness demands nothing less than that. But that we can be wrong and lost because of the bitterness of our hearts. Because we have neglected justice and mercy and faith. He goes on to say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside that they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish that the outside may be clean also. See, here's at the root of, of the Pharisee's problem. Here's at the root of what can be our problems that we, we must learn from. They were so concerned about what other people were thinking, other people were seeing, other people were saying about them that they neglected the truth. And that is what is on the inside. You see, the outside is easier to control. It is so much easier to control what people, what people think or what people say or what people see. But I don't know what's on the inside. I may have suspicions, you may have suspicions, but you don't know what's on the inside. That's where the battle really rages. That's where I need to fight. Because the truth is, if I clean the inside, the outside will take care of itself. But I can shine it up really good. And it still be dirty on the inside. Sometimes I get a bowl out of the dishwasher. Looks clean to me. Put it in a cabinet because it looks clean, right? And you'll get it down. You'll start to pour your bowl of cereal. Like, what is that? And it's like some kind of caked on something from six months ago. I don't know. Like, I don't want to eat that. It's dirty. I thought it was clean. It looked clean when I put it up. I wouldn't put it up. Watch the bowls if you come. I might have unloaded the dishwasher, right? But, but this, is, this is what he's saying. You own, the only way to really cleanse the outside of the cup is to clean the inside. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's, just, it's the imagery, right? Um, I... I I, I, I've told you guys before, there was a period in my life when I worked for, for a funeral home and I dealt a lot with dead, dead bodies. And every time I would bring that up, like especially like if my mother's around, she'll say, ooh, ooh, just quit, quit talking about that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. This kind of makes us, right? We, we, we don't like dead bodies. That's not, a, that's not a fun thing or an easy thing. But yet, but yet when you go to the, to the cemetery, it looks quite nice. And you can go to the mausoleum and you can, you can you know, there, there are flowers that are put there and, and everything, you know, the, the, the grass is mowed and edged and there'll be pictures and thousands of dollars will, will, will be spent and, and it can really be a nice, pleasant, 
relaxing place. But the truth is, inside of that casket that costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, there is a rotting human body across the board. That's just the way, right? The shell, the person's not there, but the shell, the, the, the tabernacle that we live in. That's the reality of death. He says, that's how some people live their Christian lives. Like they paint it up really good, right? They, 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 they whitewash it, a fresh coat of paint, right? We're, we're going to make this thing look good. But inside, it's full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. It appears righteous. It appears nice. It looks good. But really, it's full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We've already talked a little bit about how that can happen in a, con- in a congregation. We, we would do well to look at ourselves. We would do well to look at ourselves and, and to say, I, 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 don't, I don't want to be like those Pharisees who were crucifying Jesus. They thought they were doing God's will. They were not. But one of the reasons that they could not see it is because, is because they were more concerned about the outward than they were the inward. Listen, look to your own soul. These are people, these are people who said, as they were crucifying the Son of God, you know, I can't go in there because if I go in there, I'm not going to be able to partake of the feast. And, I, and I've got to partake of the feast. That's what good godly people do even as they crucified the Son of God. They were concerned. They were concerned about being defiled. And they didn't realize that the one that they were crucifying was the very one who could actually take away their sins. It took me back to John 1 and verse 29. When John first saw Jesus, and the text says that he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If they just opened their eyes and understood who Jesus was, their cup could have been cleaned on the inside and on the outside. Their concern about being defiled, what, what, what was a good concern? I wish there were more people in this world who were concerned about the contamination of sin in their soul. But may we not be concerned about that at the same time that we're crucifying Jesus with our hypocrisy, with our self-righteousness, with our ugliness, with our failure to actually be the person that we're trying to describe. I want to be consistent in those things. I want for my dish to be clean on the inside and on the outside. I want for my inner man to be as pure as I portray my outer man to be. And I know about myself, and you know about yourself, that is easier said than done. But that is the journey that we are all on. And that is an impossibility if it were not for what Jesus does on the cross. But that we, because of His sacrifice, we can be cleansed. And we can be purified. And we can be as white as snow. On the inside and on the out. Friends, if you have a need to repent of sin in your life, if you have a need to be baptized into His death, to have your sins washed away, 
If you have a need to return to the body, don't crucify Jesus. Don't, don't, don't step over Him on your way to, to justification because you'll never get there. You embrace Him and you embrace His sacrifice as we stand and as we sing.